This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. In the field of oil and gas, it's actually quite rare for companies to have a CMO. NOV is an outlier in that area, and their CMO, David Reed, joins us on this episode of Marketing Trends. David explains why in the past marketing hasn't been a focus for many oil and gas companies and why he thinks it's actually a critical role, not just for his company, but for the industry as a whole. People don't know about the incredible work and innovation being done in this industry. And David is on a mission to bring those activities to the forefront. He explains that and more here. Enjoy the discussion. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Here is your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends. And we are joined by special guest, David, what's going on? I'm doing good, how are you? Doing well, and I am excited to talk today about oil and gas, about NOV, about your career, and, uh, and what makes you different as a marketer? What makes you tick? So let's get into it. How did you get started in marketing in the first place? I was hired by a VP of marketing um, from a role that was very close to our machinery and equipment. Uh, I was in repair and then I was in um, looking at applications to install complex robots, big steel robots that we make, and um, started designing and making up my own pricing for things and bumped into the VP of marketing in Norway and he hired me. Within a week, I was moved to California. I don't know if I was trouble or if I was that I needed control or they saw something good in me, one of the two, but it worked out. So that was the beginning of, of the marketing journey. So flash forward to today, what does it mean to be CMO at NOV? The industry doesn't have a lot of CMOs. And um, generally what I do in, in my role is look a lot ahead for the company in the five to 10 plus years and make sure that everything is going in the right direction. So when it comes to how we market and what we market, a lot of it is very integrated with customers. Um, And in our world, that means integrated with countries and and world politics and uh, where where things are going as well as where the opportunities lie for the company. So I spend quite a bit of time looking at the future uh, and influencing the companies that we buy. We acquire usually about a company a month on par and have done that for many years. And then we we integrate many brands where we usually have bought all the best brands in the business. And then we find ways to enhance their value off of each other. And then we play in other sectors. We're not all oil and gas, but um, there's really great uh, money to be made in oil and gas. So even though we, we, we usually will have technologies in other areas, but usually they're sourced in, in an oil and gas invention or, or application. So uh, a lot of the time is that. I deal with a lot of different brand integration uh, and master branding and then looking at where we go. And I think probably unique to my role when I talk to other CMOs is the whole company has grown up 
the leadership team has grown up in the company and um, that allows you to be very connected to the business um, and understand the marketplace probably more than, than most CMOs and, and driving and a part of the strategy engine of the company. Yeah, it seems like you, you know, if you're doing things like, you know, acquisitions and working on, you know, 10 to 20 year strategy, some of these are extremely long term thinking, you, you know, clearly have the proverbial seat at the table. I'm curious, like, was that just something that being in the company for so long, you feel like you kind of grew into that role? What would, um, what are some of the, like, how, how does that happen in, in your scenario, but for other CMOs who come on the job that kind of don't have that proverbial seat at the table or literal seat at the table in some cases, um, and maybe their desk is in the office or something. Um, how would that kind of dichotomy, what do you think kind of leads to that? I mean, my journey was through various businesses inside the company. So um, every time I went into a role, it was a, it was a very short ramp into influence. And so I don't believe that it's just because I've been here this long because um, the kind of work I did all along constantly was influencing. And so it's really about how do you get in and influence people. Also, when we buy companies, I have to somehow um, get alongside of them where they let you do what you need to do. Because culturally, we, um, we allow our businesses to be who they are. We don't buy them and then try and dominate them and think we're smarter than them. We generally believe they're valuable. And so it's actually quite an interesting influence challenge because you're dealing with brand new people who are terrified that you're going to ruin what they have and they don't trust you. And, uh, and that's, that's kind of the path I've been on as I've gone through different parts of our business. You usually turn up, people aren't sure of you. They think you're just a marketing guy. Um, and so you have to find a way around that and prove value very quickly. And, and most of that, I think, is, is actually valuable to everybody where you have to understand how to discover a market fast. I think great marketers um, can read situation and people very well. Almost good psychologists, I would have, I would have said, for, for most marketers. My, my background was in architecture, strangely enough. Um, and in a world of engineers that I'm in, um, being an architect is just this mysterious beast uh, compared to everyone else because they can all solve incredible problems at, at a micro level but really struggle to see a big picture which is a very architectural type of development and so being able to understand the picture yet still talk the language of someone who's in in their box uh, i always tell people that if you want to take people outside of the box you better be inside the box before you take them out because you earn your you earn your stripes inside the box if you turn up and say, everyone's doing it wrong, I'm new, and you need these new eyes and this new voice, they will get rid of you pretty quick. Um, if you turn up and, and you pay attention to detail and you can assess quickly what's going on in a business uh, and get to the influencers and understand the structure, um, you can create a lot more value um, understanding the box. And when, you, when you're on your stripes inside the box, it's when you can take people outside of it. Yeah, I mean, it's so funny how earning your stripes for different marketers can mean such different things. You know, in B2B, it's making sure the pipeline is filled and 
uh, you know, B2C, it's making sure that you're top of mind or, or that your campaigns are interesting or engaging. Um, what you, you said that traditionally companies in oil and gas might not have a CMO. Why is that? Generally, they're not believers in marketing, um, which is interesting. Oh, man. It's a small, um, it's a very big, small business, if that makes sense. Everything in oil and gas grew out of farming. So um, I've actually talked to agricultural businesses because they're so similar. It's very easy to talk to them because I understand their base, which is a very farm-based, real talk, straightforward thinking. And, and, and like like doing big things for the world but art and science because of farmers well we have you know all the devices around us the plastics the travel all, all the things that made the world grow came out of oil and gas and low-cost energy but they, they have no way of communicating that and so that's often why it's given a bad rap um, usually people will look at when errors have happened in oil and gas but if you imagine that error that you saw never happened again like never happened again. So you, it's, a, it's an amazing amount of technical ability and ingenuity that happens inside of the business that they have no method to tell that story to someone else. I mean, when I, when I tell you uh, 28 years ago, I was working on giant robots. Nobody thinks of oil and gas that way because they've never managed to market or communicate what they do. But if we, we may we have 140 foot tall, big robotic machines that will move pipe around. Uh, people just don't know that, you know, we, we communicate, we actually work with, with um, people in the, in the space community quite a bit because they have similar challenges, but, but we go and we drill deep into the earth. We do offshore drilling from land in, in uh, one of the islands off of Russia, basically using incredible technology to drill deep into the earth and to steer into very small spaces. Um, it takes extreme technology, yet no one in the world has, has really heard that story because they're not marketers. And so they think, most of the engineers just think it's obvious we're doing amazing things. You know, and so a, a video comes out in, in the northeast of the U.S. saying that, that gas is coming out of my water and oil and gas is bad, and suddenly everyone's fracking is bad, oil and gas is bad. Yet for, you know, 30, 40 years we've been doing that process and that doesn't happen. Um, it, it's, it, they can't communicate that they've got no way because they're not marketers, they're, they're engineers and they think it's obvious. You know, we have, we wrap a well with steel and cement and steel and cement and steel and cement. You can't penetrate that. Um, but they think that it's obvious so they don't market. So there's, there's something inherently in what is that extreme farmer type community um, who is extremely technical up in the up in the NASA world very easily in SpaceX. We actually cross over sometimes and do work with them. I'm super smart, super able, a very connected, great human beings, um, but just not marketers. So there's a there's a lot of space for someone who can help them uh, to actually market and show them the value. Which is they're all skeptics, but but for me the journey had to be go from the inside of the business out. So and a lot of my learning about the world, uh, I, I go around the world and meet with leaders of oil companies and countries. And that's part of my source is that I've built relationships with people that my marketing skills actually open those doors, my ability to know what's going on in markets around the world and 
having spent my life on airplanes, touching those markets. There's just a lot of work that has made me very valuable in the space. And I'm, I'm very different to everyone around me and they understand that, but I'm also welcome, which is surprising. Yeah. I think one of the hardest things that marketers deal with is the skeptic, is the person in your organization who doesn't believe that marketing does anything or that they just do the PowerPoint slides or whatever it is. Um, and it's, and it's always a tough thing because you have to say, you know, you have to kind of acknowledge, you know, you have to do the jujitsu there and acknowledge the fact that, yeah, there are some people who do that, but what we're trying to do is think farther out is think about the things that can yield massive results for our company over the years. You know, a great example of that you, you brought up farming, um, John Deere created the furrow, uh, magazine like 120 years ago. Uh, and that ma magazine has been going for 120 years and it's really like, you know, uh, cl uh the most classic example that and like Guinness book world records and Michelin star restaurant, like classic examples of content marketing, how a brand that wanted to be relevant to people to create something for them, for their constituents, um, that could create something new and novel and helpful and it stands the test of time. Like, I think those type of things where I'm sure that if you went to the people, you know, at, at John Deere, the back in the day, they definitely were not clamoring for like, oh, we really need a magazine. Or like, why are you wasting resources on this? But look at the results 120 years later. I think the secret is that, that people marketing is an alien idea. Um, so you, I mean, we do this a lot. We change our language and how we talk about our company. And the things that we do, we change it to sound less marketing because marketing is, a, is actually a natural state. Um, but if you, you treat it like an alien thing, you come in like an alien, you start saying maybe you, you use language that they're not used to. You use terminology that's very marketing. You, people will do it. The people will say the European theater talking about working in Europe. And it's a very marketing thing that's favor. You would never say that in our world. And so your language change is really important. Saying let's have a focus group is like the, wor the worst thing you can say to anybody is because it's just a language they don't use. When you, when, what you really mean is let's, let's talk to some customers. And they'd be like, yeah, okay, I talk to customers all the time. But if you said let's have a focus group, um, you're right. I mean, they, as soon as you use the wrong, wrong language in these environments, um, people see you as an alien. And what you need to do is be part of the family. And so the immersion that work of a marketer in a new space is really important, immersing yourself in the language as soon as you get a word wrong, as soon as, soon as you, you, know, you miss some of these things. Uh, staying quiet at first and listening and observing uh, and, and, and learning the culture in the box is critical. And as soon as you use classic marketing terms or terms you talk with other marketers, you're out. And they will, they will reject you from the system because you don't belong. Um, so it's belonging that becomes important. And so your, your first job is, is rapid study and assimilation into the culture. How do you pitch big ideas? How do you go to those folks when you say, hey, I want to spend a big chunk of change on something that, you know, I, hey, in your mind, you're thinking, I need, to, I know we need to focus on this persona be, because this, you know, group of people or this geographic region is looking for something based off all the customers that we've talked to. They're looking for this thing, but I know if I if I position it that way, that 
they're just going to be like, what are you talking about? So how do you think about pitching those big initiatives? Well, you have to own the money part. Uh, if you're asking for a lot of money, if it doesn't hurt you in that I know this is a, this is painful, if you don't feel that pain when you're asking, um, if you don't look at every other option to not, I mean, I'll, I'll come in with, here's some things we could do. You know, we did, we, we got a ton of money to work on um, uh, an uh, AI-based website. Um, no one in the industry has done it. There's no demand. Nobody's asking for it. But we're a complex company. And so I didn't say any of the buzzwords that were needed. I went in with pain to our CFO and said, man, our, our website is so bad. When you And I'd measured it, which is always good. And I don't go and show a chart that shows everyone hates the website because it's better than showing a chart and saying, I just hear from our folks that the customers don't like it. We don't like it. And CFO goes, gosh, the market hates it too. I mean, it's a hated thing. Instead of them saying you're failing at the website, which I knew was already a pain point, I said, you know, there's so much technology now that can, can make this easy. And everyone goes, yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, I'm using Facebook and I'm using, you know, they go into their applications that they, they things start knowing, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that. But well, we looked at it and here's, here's kind of the, um, if we were just trying to do it as cheaply as possible, this is what it would be. And I said, but honestly, that's how we go where we are. And I hate to say it, but, you know, you move up a level and now I feel like I'm at risk. I, I have to go to the top tier for this. And I don't like it. And it's money that I wouldn't suggest that we should spend. But, but my gut says it's, it's the right thing. And we have to do this of all things. And, um, and they were like, yeah, that was the end of that. We got the funding we needed. And, um, and as usual, all projects, it was late. So I didn't spend a lot of time <laughs> telling everyone, hey, here comes this new website. It's going to be the best thing ever. I just quietly kept on. I had the budget. Uh, I didn't tell everyone I had the budget. Um, and one day, two years later, very, very late, this website pops out and everyone's suddenly happy. And once again, I didn't use the words into artificial intelligence. I'm just, it's just that people are learning. And eventually I told them, this is kind of like Amazon. It's going to know what you like. So when you come in, we know what you asked for. And it's going to feed you content, which means in our renewables business, and those guys don't love to know that we're an oil and gas company, that you'll go in and you'll find just renewables products because that's what you searched. So I'm looking for wind installation, which I don't know if you know, but it's actually oil and gas companies that do all of that stuff. If it's big and happening, yeah. usually it's an oil and gas company behind it financially and technologically. So we install offshore using the same technology we drill with. Um, but you come and all you see is, is, is renewables. You know, you see that we do biofuels and we do, you know, we do fiberglass and other materials. There's things that fit into other, other applications. Um, but our technologies that all grew out of oil and gas because the money was there. Renewables is not a great money place. It's a great attention place, but same as water. I mean, we have some great water cleaning products that'll probably save the world when it comes to water, but, but they all grew out of oil and gas and trying to clean the fluid that comes out, the water that comes out of a well when you're, when you're fracking. There's naturally water in the earth as well. So we're learning how to clean that already brackish water, which can't be used for inland. And we're finding ways to clean it. Um, but if you're in pure water and uh, you don't want to hear about oil and gas in the middle of that, but that's where the technology comes. So ultimately you can understand it enough to explain it so that, so that people go, okay, you understand me. You understand my pain. You understand my problems. 
when you spend my money, it hurts you. Um, you don't promise things and not deliver. Uh, you know, I think it's managing those things. What are the buttons for the people uh, in in the company, and what are the buttons for their leadership? Um, and and under, understanding all of that is that understanding the box and learning how to train it and how to speak about it. I've had a few times where I got money I thought I would never get, and I went in. It was funny. It was budget season, and someone called me from another uh, industry and said, "You know, I'm really struggling because I know how it's going to go." I said, "I do too." You go in, you ask for money, they say no, and then you have to do it for less. And I said, "You know the problem?" And the guy says, "What's the problem?" So the problem is you do it for less every time. And what you've taught them, yeah, is you can cut my budget and I'll still deliver because you want to keep your job. Uh, but the problem is you've also trained that you're always asking for too much. And so um, I am extremely tough on, um, I literally sit with them annually and say, I want no discussion. I don't want you to surprise me and say, cut, I'm going to tell you, I'm always going to come under budget. I'm always going to deliver. Um, but trust me. And that took years. At this point, I'm the only one who gets that treatment in the company um, because I've been consistent and I've surprised them and we've done more with less. And uh, learning to do more with less, sometimes we throw money at problems because we, we don't, you know, we can't think of other ways to solve it or it's our, it's our problem. But if you can learn uh, to, to treat the money like it's your own, um, that's being inside the box because that's how everyone else feels. And I, I often joke that it's wasteful money. And when I joke about it, people will, will defend me in the company to know it's actually great. I mean, it helps us to sell. It helps us, you know, we can see the value. So I think often we'll get into these ROI conversations, but if you're in an ROI conversation and you're spending a lot of time producing proof, um, it's just suspicious in the company for the gut feel of a business person. Things have to work for their gut. And you can do ROI calculations and you can prove things, but if it doesn't feel true, it doesn't matter that you, that you say that this, I mean, the truth is it's never one thing. But the return gives us return or gives us business. It's a multiple of things. And so um, you have to deal with that blurred world because they, they all believe if they turned it off, everything would still happen. And so you're. Yeah, that is the key. Right. So you have That's to. You're exactly right. You have to feel the same way. Hey, and I tell my boss all the time, we can turn it all off. It's an option. We could just stop. We could go outside. One time. We were, we're starting this, we're in a six year downturn right now. And uh, as we were entering, it was, it was very difficult for the company. And I just said, can you just let me go? Let me go, I'll take my team and you can, you can hire us. And he said, no way. He said, I couldn't afford you. And I went, hmm. I was hoping you couldn't work that out, but you did work it out. You couldn't, you couldn't <laughs> afford us. And, and that's a knowledge that, that the company has is if, if they tried to buy this stuff, because I produce almost everything internally. And um, if I go outside, it's a rare occasion. But the, for them, they understand that saves them tons of money. Other companies just go outside to agencies and do other things. But we have extremely talented people inside who produce at a fraction of the cost of others. So that, that kind of, and most of them birth out of the business. So there's some of them are just engineers who are talented and, and just people who love the company. And so the product they produce connects with the company. So it's a, it's a natural growth. Instead of hiring people, you have to then teach them who you are. Um, that, that doesn't go so well. So when I do that, I, I try and not expose the leadership to the companies we use because they would spit them out pretty quick. 
so I have to filter what gets said from them to the to the leadership. Yeah, I uh, I love that. Uh, I think that's a that's a great it's a great exercise to just say we could turn it all off. And I think you know, especially when you're working on those long term problems, right? Like this is the classic you know leader's dilemma of what happens if uh, if we don't train. Or if we train our employees and they leave and, you know, the other person says, what af- what happens if we don't train them and they stay, yeah. uh, right? It's like, like, of course you can be, you know, penny wise and pound foolish and do things that, you know, immediately save you a few dollars, but position you way worse in the future. A website, and the website is a great encapsulation. I'm glad you used that example because how many conversations do you think, you know, C-suite teams have with their CMO about their website. And it's like, this is the most important digital property, or it's the most important, one of the most important properties for our sales team. Because if it does a bad job, it's untold how much stuff could happen by it not working. And it's our brand. It is encapsulated by this. Why would we not spend the premier amount of money to have something exceptional and usable, especially when you have a portfolio of, of products and services like you all have, which are extremely differentiated. Well, and I think, I mean, we measure ourselves. I think that's one of the things that people would be scared to do uh, is be open about how our internal customers, how satisfied they are. And so we actually run a survey um, on a periodic basis just to go, okay, how are we doing? And that's how we knew that, we knew website wasn't good and we, we were trapped in it. I mean, that, that sometimes happens with particular softwares where people will get you in and now you can't get out for the, the cost of getting out is too much. Um, so we done made one of those mistakes, got a bargain company to, to build us something we thought was good. And um, it wasn't. And we were stuck. And so now what do you do? So the answer to that question is, is a bunch of money. And um, you had to let it stuck for a while and then uh, measure it and say this is really failing of all things and it's highly valuable and it's so you're not saying I think that I'm not saying you think that I'm saying we measure it and I'm telling you our people who are doing the work trying to convert sales um, need this more than anything so that's where I'd suggest we put our money which means all these other great things I'd like money for I'm going to say no to my own team um, because I mean everyone's on the same page we're, we're trying to do our best to save money but in this case it's desperate and will be will we'll hurt spending the money, um, but we would hurt way much more not spending it. So, but but the fact that it, it pains me, they know I go through. Usually, when they're asking for a cut, um, I usually bring it to them before they ask. I was born in Scotland, so I'm naturally cheap um, or careful, depending <laughs> depending who's asking. Um, but I'm really careful with money and. And I'm always looking at, but I also have a desire for the best of the best. So I'm very intolerant of, of cheap things. But everything that I get done, um, my boss and the team think I, I, I'm aiming way too high, which is true. I'm aiming too high for our customer. But they're getting it delivered at a lower cost than those who aren't aiming that high. So I get away with it get away with an extreme desire for, for high performance. And, and my team could all walk out the door tomorrow for more money. But the culture that we build makes them stay. They love it. So I spend a lot of time work looking and studying some of the best teams in the world. 
in the creative space to understand how do you house creatives and against an agency, none of them want to go back. Um, the ones who do are usually sorry and want to come back. So the, if someone's been in an agency, our creatives will uh, usually never want to go out of our, our environment again because when I, I study Disney and Pixar, I've got friends inside of both. And I, I know Silicon Valley, I started in Silicon Valley in the 80s. So a lot of my friends have been in there and some of the big companies and all of them have trashed their employees. They get what they want out of them, but they move quickly. Um, they're, they create, Pixar does this, they create an environment that looks like the best environment in the world for the sole purpose of squeezing the life out of their employees. And so you you have an amazing work environment, but you have no life. And so Disney was a bit better yeah. at balance. I, I kind of liked how they treated and talked about their creatives. It was it was a bit more connected. And so I took that and and one of my friends was a director of creative in Disney. And so when I first got a full time storyteller, uh, he wrote music. He did he did a level of of um, movie making that I think he belongs over there in Hollywood. And when I took him out there to Disney, everyone was worried I was going to lose him. I'm like, I'm not losing him. We've already made an environment that, that he loves. He, I, I worry about my team's personal time. I worry that they are taking care of themselves and their families and they're not doing too long hours and that they have side gigs where they can make extra money and uh, and, and make sure that they, they put in solid work and, and love what they do and spend a lot of time with my leadership working on how do these people tick and how do we make them happier? And usually they, they find out skills and gifts that they have um, that, that just make them so happy all day because you're having everyone work in their sweet spot. And we don't really hire for jobs. We hire um, for talent, but then we then discover who they are and we make the job around them. And then I'll live with the gap. I'll live with we're we're underserved in a certain area because we thought that this person could do this thing, but they're more structural than they are creative or they're more creative than structural. But we try and find their spot and their superpowers. And then we, we let them jump between different types of jobs until we discover the amazing talent they were made to do. And uh, that, that creates an unbeatable environment. I have to say that my grandfather was Scottish and, uh, and I love, uh, I love the way that you said, uh, uh, essentially I'm not, uh, I might be cheap, but, uh, really I'm just intolerant of cheap things. I think that that's a great way of viewing things, uh, is that I'm just not going to spend money on, on crap, uh, which is a, I think a, a brilliant, a brilliant lens for marketing where so much of what people end up buying is something that is like, you know, the, the, the now thing and not the right thing. Um, because they just kind of want to throw throw money at a problem. One of the investments that you you all did make, which I'm super fascinated about, about obviously we're passionate about podcasts here, and you created a podcast called Nov Today. Um, explain why you thought that I this, I'm not going to you had to be pretty close to the first ones uh, in oil and gas to have uh, have a podcast. I'm guessing probably the only um, there are others who we I mean one of the things that I, with with the guy who led the podcast. His, his job title um, is The Voice. He, um, he, he was having a frustration one day, actually, and started texting me. They all, the, the movie maker and The Voice are both in it 
five or six in the morning. So he starts texting me, well, I'm getting ready in the morning and we're, and we're texting back and forth and something is up. And I'm like, do you, do you need to go start your own? He said, should we monetize this and I'll go out and start offering it to other companies? And I'm like, no, I don't, I, this is like cowbell to me. I, I can't get enough. Um, I've got a fever for podcasts. I just need more of it. And so, I'm, I, so the big question is what's happening inside of you? Do you feel like you need to start a company? Because I'll send you out of the company and hire you if that's the direction we need to go. And he's like, no, no, I'm terrified of that. I don't want to run my own company. So that sounds horrible to me. He said, I just, something's bothering me. And I said, well, why is that? Well, probably what you want is more feedback on, on how amazing this is, what you're doing. So why don't you speak in public more? So he started doing that because that was it. That was the itch I needed to scratch. And uh, he, so he, so others have started as a result. Um, and we freely kind of gave in that space. But, but that was a guy who was, uh, he was a product line manager who came over for a creative director job. Um, was it creative communications director? And it was the wrong job for the guy. And I was really, this is, I mean, this is what I, spend most of my time pouring over because it wasn't that I always wanted a podcast, but I, but I didn't, um, I didn't want it at any cost. So anyway, I was about to have a difficult conversation on performance with him. And I, and, and I just, I kind of go with my gut a lot. And I went into his office and there on the desk was a microphone, like an award thing. And I said, what is that? And he goes, Oh, I do voiceovers. Um, I said, you do voiceovers. Yeah, I do that on the side. And I got an award for it. And I was like, have you ever thought about podcasts? So the whole conversation turns from performance to maybe this is what you're made to do. And he goes, all my life, I've wanted to do podcasts. I've wanted to do that type of thing, news. And I was like, okay, well, how about um, we restructure? You're now called The Voice, and I just give you some money, and you prepare podcasts. I'd like to see them at a regular cadence internally. So we did them all internally to start with. And, and then I pushed him to let's go outside. But um, I, what happens to a guy like that is he's just started doing his dream job. And he would, at first he'd say, oh, am I losing my employees and my title? I mean, I'm the voice now. But, you know, I recently said, to him, do you want us to change it? I mean, I always tell everyone, your, your title can be whatever you want it to be. And he's like, no, are you kidding? Everybody wants to talk to me because I'm the voice now. Like it's the thing. He said, "I love it," you know. And that's great. And the, the, our, our our movie guy is was a storyteller for years and loved it. And then that was interesting. Then he learned tons of people are doing that, and he's so much more than that. So he's he's changing his title to I think I'm not sure what he's going to, but he's 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 moving out of that storyteller era into because he does so much more. He's 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 an all in uh, team of I think my cousin does um, does television adverts for uh, in the UK and I had them share with each other and when he asked him what's your team size he said what do you mean what's my team size well who, who does your storyboarding he goes well that's me who does who does your sign well that's me who, where do you get the music I write it uh, okay well where's your lighting guy that's me so 100% him and my cousin turned looked at me and was like are you kidding me that's 10 people on my team in one person I said yeah I know crazy yeah um, just super talented. And so, yeah, I mean, uh, there, he was an engineer designing what we call shell shakers. It's like a vibrating sieve that we make to separate out um, dirt when we, when we drill. 
and he was designing that most unhappy he's been in all his life, studied the wrong thing. And I, and I, he made a side video for our next generation program. And I'm like, there's talent here. And that's when I called my friend in Disney and said, what do you do with that guy? And he, he coached me all the way through how to, how to make him happy. And probably the Disney trip was the best thing for him because um, he was doubting himself. And so we, we kind of moved into a, um, the story already exists. You're not controlling it. And so walk into the story and discover, you know, don't, don't pre-plan everything. And that's where some of our best work came. But he's coming alive all the time with new stuff. And I make sure he only does new creative inventive stuff because that's who he is and what he is. If I, every time he does something, every part of the business wants it and they want to replicate it. And so if I do that, I do it with other people. And this, this guy has to invent all the time, has to create. And so I just let him go. Last question before we get into our lighting round here. Um, you know, we're in the middle of this global pandemic, um, which is a really challenging time for for the world and sad and uh, in in a lot of ways and obviously tragic. But at the same time, business, you know, goes on and it's really important to keep your team focused. I'm curious, do you have any uh, like a piece of advice for your fellow CMOs and marketing leaders of how to navigate through times of crisis? So what I did this week was I opened the week with an all hands on deck phone call, video call. And, um, and uh, instead of everyone has fears and concerns and all that. So I started with um, our VP of marketing just had a baby the day before. So we shared that. So human connection asked people how they were doing, told them how much their health was important. So make sure we're, they understand that we care about them. Talked about what working from home is like and how difficult it is for me because it was difficult for all of them. Talked about some things I was doing to keep myself healthy and well mentally. Um, talked a bit about the market, where it's going and what it means. Um, then I talked about connecting with each other, why to use video. And I dressed up in the morning like I was going to work, which I know they were all in pajamas. And um, just suggested they start doing that. Start doing that and, and giving them direction. And then I started to say, this is a massive change if we're willing to take it on. That all the people we want to communicate with right now are living connected to the internet with time on their hands. What could we do different? How could we change everything in this time? And, and I want you to all to start coming up with rapid plans to connect and to grow this market and, and our connection and relationship um, with these people. And uh, we'll never see a moment like this again. It's a chance to change everything from a virtual standpoint. And um, they're all off running. I mean, here we are Wednesday and, and uh, all I've had is lots of ideas and creativity and, and, and things that were rolling out fast and, and in an agile way. And it's really, it's really making the enemy something else. Um, sometimes the business is the enemy or the market is the enemy or it's making, we're all fighting something, but, but it's, it, it, the enemy is, uh, is opportunity and time right now that we could, we could turn everything around and we could change our market. We could change how we do things. If only we apply ourselves and, and think of new things, it's an opportune time for change. And, uh, it's your mental state is critical in this time. And so that's, that's kind of the, the, you know, I think recognizing pain is critical. Um, but living in pain is disastrous. And so you have to get people and lift them out of the mud. You have to recognize the mud. You have to recognize the problem. 
but then giving hope and inspiring and, and creating methods to tear down barriers so that we can move and do things that are unconventional is, uh, is what makes people alive, help them discover their gifts and skills and, and feel that they're impacting the world. And if you can do that, then uh, people will, will stick around, I think. Okay, let's get into our lightning round. These questions are fast and easy, just like marketing with Salesforce. You can go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more about marketing built on the world's number one CRM, that is Salesforce. Lightning round questions, David, are you ready? Yes. Number one, what app on your phone is the most fun? Scrabble. How about something that you saw that you were just excited about or inspired by? It's movies for me because I think I, I think it's a better way to think in terms of connecting people. It's inspiration and motivation. What is your favorite book or podcast or thing that you've read or listened to recently? I've been, uh, I do like Mike, Malcolm Gladwell, but but I will say um, Flipping the Barrel right now, which is two young ladies in our industry who started a podcast that gets into understanding women in oil and gas. And I'm very excited about that and the people that get on and subjects they cover. Do you have a hidden talent or passion? I am a painter and a musician and probably painting and sketching has been my uh, hidden thing. What would be your best advice for a first-time CMO? Dive in and talk very little early. Get to know what makes people take learning the language. What question do you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often? It's always deeper stuff for me. So, so it's more the who are you, what are you about stuff, what makes you tick. I, I like that in other people and, and I wish more people asked it. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us, David. This has been great, truly insightful stuff. And uh, I'm excited to see all the things that come out of NOV. So uh, any final thoughts, any things to plug? Nothing to plug NOV today. I mean, it'd be great if people started listening and looking at some of our video work uh, on our channels. So follow us. Thanks so much. Take care. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce, we bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content 
personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.